0: This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for R.M. Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com, or you can email me directly at gstanley at com. It's Greg Stanley with the Collector Car Podcast. Uh, this episode is somewhat fortuitous. Uh, this was unplanned. <laughs> Actually, it was kind of a funny story. So not that you care, but I'll give you a little sneak peek behind what I do here every week. So basically, I have a podcast schedule calendar that is set up a few weeks in advance. Somehow, I found myself scrambling for the content for this week's episode I was gonna have the original owner of a 1965 Shelby GT350 on, but things just haven't been able to happen. So I was kind of scrambling around trying to figure out, well, what am I gonna cover for this month or this week? And I looked back on previous episodes and one of my most popular episodes was when I covered uh, the value of every Porsche from every model in every generation. So that was quite a data dump, but folks seem to really Enjoy that episode. So I thought, well, how could I update that with something new and fresh? So I thought I would do it about Ferraris, you know, the most valuable Ferrari from every model and generation. Well, as I dug into it a little bit, Ferraris are not like Porsches. Uh, There's not distinct model generations. So it's not like you have the, you know, the 993 Porsche. Now I can talk about Turbos and RSs and different things or the 356 generation. Um, it's just not that way with Ferraris. I mean, there's three big eras, including the Enzo era. And I thought, well, what if I break it out by, you know, the engines and, uh, it was just, you know, the flat 12s and it was just a little bit too much to dig into. But as I thought about Ferraris, I thought, you know, there's one thing I've always seen at car shows and at Concord events, I always thought was really cool. It's pretty much the, uh, iconic Ferraris, it's called the Big Five Ferraris, the 288 GTO, the F40, F50, the Enzo, the LaFerrari. And when you see those either in a collection or at a concours, it's always a special event. They're known as the Big Five. And so I thought, well, why don't I just dig into the Big Five? Because I think it should be the Big Six, honestly. I mean, you can make arguments different ways. So this episode, I am going to cover the Big Five and then I'm going to tell you what I would call the big six, and I'm also going to give a few call-outs for a couple of special mentioned special mentioned cars, uh, Ferrari and non-Ferraris, in this episode, and I'll provide valuations. So uh, a little behind the scenes here. So what I'd like to do is, especially if you're watching YouTube, I like to pull up examples from RM Sotheby's in which they have pulled in the past, you know, sold a... Uh, a GTO or sold, you know, an F forty or F fifty in the past, and I'll I'll scroll through and I'll show you pictures of those of those examples. Um, I I pay attention to a lot of what's going on at RM Sotheby's, but somehow I just missed this until I started scrolling around and I realized we have a sale coming up November the fourth in London in which all five the big five Ferraris are being offered in one sale along with some incredible cars. It's called the Gran Turismo collection. So if you're watching on YouTube right now, I did pull up the picture that shows uh, this collection of incredible cars, front and center. There's five Ferraris, the big five Ferraris, front and center. So when I pull up the pictures, uh, you will see those from this sale. And if you want more information about the sale, just go to rmsothwees.com. And uh, what's cool is actually the descriptions I'm going to read. We have some fantastic writers at Arms Sotheby's. I don't believe they get the credit that is due. Um, all of the descriptions, except for I believe on the Enzo, because that hasn't been completed yet, those will be from the actual catalog description. But this collection is unbelievable. On the screen here, I'm looking at uh, Bugatti EB110, Bugatti EB110 GT. Uh, I'm looking at you know some Group B rally cars, uh, Countach, a white on white. Lamborghini Countach, some other Ferraris, Lamborghini Murra, all from this incredible collection. So uh, like I said, this is all about the big five Ferraris and uh, let's look dig into it. Now, one thing I will say is when you look at this and I, sh- I give you the estimates for the sale coming up, they are in pounds, British pounds. The current exchange rate is one US dollar equals 1.117 pounds. So when you see the estimate and it seems like the car is a bargain, well, you gotta multiply it by 1.117. So I'll give you an example here shortly as to how that affects the value or the estimates of these cars, uh, but they're just uh, beautiful and wonderful. So our first one, we're gonna do, go in chronological order. So our first one is a 1984 to 1985 Ferrari 288 GTO. Uh, now, what I will say is at the very end, I will have the six car mentioned, I sh- think should be a part of the big six. Um, and I will also have uh, some fun facts. You know, what is the fastest of the big big five Ferraris? The slowest? The most valuable? The least valuable? Uh, the most produced? The least produced? All that kind of stuff. So this is the uh, let's see. This is the Ferrari 288 GTO. So doing a quick pounds to dollar conversion, uh, the low estimate is 3.25 million pounds in U.S. dollars. Uh, I did the math here. Yes, that equates to 3.6 million. From a low estimate perspective so that's an increase of about four hundred thousand dollars when you do the transition between the two all right so with the sale of road cars declining in the early 1980s enzo ferrari concluded that his company had strayed too far from its competition roots ferrari seized the opportunity to reintroduce cutting-edge engineering through the development and manufacture of a flagship supercar the 288 gto if the revival of the GTO moniker wasn't enough for a statement of intent, chief engineer um, Nicola Materazzi drove home the point, hailing the new machine as the model that truly meant the rebirth of the real Ferrari. A masterpiece of engineering, the 288 GTO ha- had at its heart a 2.9 liter twin twin-turbo, tur- turbocharged V8 engine which was mid-mounted in a steel tube chassis that had been developed beyond recognition uh, uh, from the 308. So it actually kind of looks like a stretched and a more aggressive 308, which is just beautiful. Clothed in competition-derived carbon fiber and Kevlar composite, the 288 GTO was arguably one of Pininfarina's greatest designs, a perfect blend of aggression and elegance that paid homage to Ferrari's unrivaled competition history. The only non-functional vents decorating the stunning body were the GTO gills on the rear wings. And while the seats appeared to be of the traditional Daytona style, they were actually constructed with lightweight Kevlar, Kevlar frames. So I'm, I'm popping through some pictures here. I've got the gated uh, shifter showing right now and you can see the Daytona nine Daytona seats. All right, so in number one condition, these cars are worth $3.3 million. From a market trend perspective, these have been on fire lately. Latest one year up 26.9%. Latest three years up 106.3%. And latest five years up 144.4%. Zero to 60 time is 3.7 seconds, quarter mile in, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, let's back up. That's actually the F40 stats I'm giving you there. All right. So let's look at the, uh, let's see. Okay. 288 GTO, $4.1 million, up 39% latest one year, up 49.1% latest three years, and up 51.9% latest five years, zero to 60 times 4.9%, quarter mile, in 13.9%. And they produced 272 of these. Uh, so, you know, super rare. It might actually be the rarest or second rarest of these cars we're talking about today. All right, I didn't want to give it away, but yes, the next one I'm talking about is the Mighty F40. You know, I'll go into the valuation data here first so I get it correct. So the one we have in the London sale, the estimate is 1.4 to 1.6 million pounds. That sounds pretty inexpensive by my take. Uh, These are just beautiful, incredible cars. All right. Let's see, so number one condition, $3.3 million. Uh, Like I said earlier, uh, up 26.9% latest one year, up 106.3% latest three years, and up 144% latest five years, zero to 60 in 3.7 seconds, quarter mile in 11.1 seconds. That is crazy fast. And production numbers, um, I've got two reports on this, 1,311 as well as 1,315 with 213 of these coming to the US. All right, let's learn about the F40. Providing one of the most visceral and raw driving experiences of the modern era, the Ferrari F40 is a legend that borders on the iconic. The final prancing horse badge car to be overseen by Enzo Ferrari is positioned in and significance to the Marinello story is undeniable. Yet it is brilliant. Yet its brilliance belies its troublesome gestation. That could have so easily been, so easily seen. The project brought to a halt. The supercar was built to mark the 40th anniversary of the Modena firm and was initially intended to fly the flag for Marinello in the most thrilling ca- category to ever grace international competition: Group B. Ferrari engineers prepared the flagship 288 GTO to compete in Group B. At Lama, developing a supercar into a race-bred motorsport variant dubbed the 288 GTO Evoluzione, I uh, can't pronounce that. I've seen that car in person. It's not as attractive as the street <laughs> 40s. Like so many promising models, the brakes were nearly applied, applied to the project following the demise of the formula, which was terminated in the face of a series of accidents. But rather than consign its engineering efforts to the pages of history, Management decided to use the 288 GTO as evolution, uh, however you say it, as the basis of an incredibly new road-going supercar, the last ever Ferrari model to be personally blessed by Enzo. Beneath the F40's futuristic wedge styling lay a version of the 288 GTO's twin-charge V8 bored out to increase the placement to 2.9 liters. The result of Ferrari's fettling was a staggering output of 478 horsepower and 425 pound-feet of torque. Horsepower was suitably seismic with a blistering 0-60 sprint time of just 3.8 seconds and a record-setting top speed of 201 miles per hour, besting the terminal velocity of local rival Lamborghini's flagship flagship Countach and the much-anticipated technical masterpiece and fellow Group B descendant Porsche 959. Ferrari only intended to build 400 F40s, but when the car was unveiled to a rapturous reception at the Frankfurt Motor Show in 1987, thousands of potential customers expressed their interest. After initially being increased to 950 cars, the final production total eventually reached some 1,315, although though in a market rife with speculation, many examples were quickly hidden away in climate-controlled private collections. I have seen one in a private collection and it has under 400 miles, which is the lowest mileage one I personally know of, uh, which is just staggering. So really cool, beautiful cars. Probably one of my favorite Ferraris of all time. All right, the next one is the F50. So F40 commemorated 40 years of the Ferrari brand. F50 commemorated 50 years. So the one we have in London, the estimate is two point, I'm sorry, 3.25 million pounds to 4 million pounds. Uh, please do the conversion at your leisure. Uh, let's see, number one condition is $5.1 million. These have been on a tear lately, up latest one year, 22.9%, latest three years, 104%. So they've doubled in value in three years and latest five years up 88.9% zero to 60 time in 6.1 seconds, quarter mile 11.9 seconds, and the number produced 349, which might seem like a weird amount to produce, but you'll find out why here shortly. Now this is the one that is per Haggerty. the description. As they had done for their 40th anniversary with the F40, Ferrari ushered in their 50th in 1995 with another supercar, the F50. As with its F40 predecessor, the F50 would be inspired by Ferrari's racing efforts, although the F50 had more direct Grand Prix connections. The new Ferrari F50 shared its layout with their contemporary F1 car by utilizing a carbon fiber chassis and having its F1-based 65-degree V12 bolted directly to the chassis and acting as a load-bearing member of the rear suspension and transaxle. The F50 was meant to be like a Formula One car for the road, And the 60-valve 4.7-liter 520-horsepower V12 really was a direct development of the engine used in Scudiero Ferrari's 3.5-liter Formula One car five years earlier. The F1 connection continued with the four-wheel independent suspension that employed electronically controlled and horizontally mounted dampers and springs. And the emission of power steering, power brakes, and ABS ensured a most direct road feel for the driver. Distinctive and often polarizing, i.e. ugly to some, Pinaferina bodywork enveloped all of this and a removable hardtop was integrated into the design. Ferrari didn't offer press cars for performance testing at the time. And by the time journalists got their hands on a car, the rumors of fantastic performance that included sub 4 second 0 to 60 times and 190 plus miles per hour were confirmed. Ferrari's F50 exclusive Allure was aided by Ferrari's scheme to offer cars only to pre-screen customers via a two-year lease arrangement in order to keep speculators out of the mix. Furthermore, to maintain exclusivity, Ferrari produced only 349 cars from 1995 to 1997. By Ferrari's estimation, this was one less than the market demanded. U.S. compliant cars were part of the production run and five colors were offered although the vast majority, majority of them were delivered in traditional Rosso Corsa. Today, these cars are coveted by their owners and trade as commodities as much as they do cars. Yes, they do. And I saw one of these in the showroom floor, actually tearing down Georgia 400 uh, north of Atlanta. And I'm liking the design more now than I did uh, when new. I, just, I did find it polarizing. Some of the stuff I wasn't crazy about, it wasn't as beautiful in my mind, as the brutal F40 was. (laughs) All right, so next, we've got the Ferrari Enzo. All right, so 2003 to 2004 Ferrari Enzo. The one in London, let's see, it's 1.8 to 2.2 million pounds. Let's see, Haggerty valuation on these cars is 4.3 million US dollars. Now again, these have been on a tear as well, up 16.2% latest one year, 37.8 latest three years, and 34.4 latest five years, zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds, quarter mile in 11 seconds, and number produced 399, which may be related to the last car that was at 349. All right, let's learn about the end zone. Now this is where I have a couple uh, special mention cars coming in here shortly. From the early days of campaigning Alfa Romeo's Grand Prix Titans to the final game-changing supercar launched shortly before his death, Enzo Ferrari was committed throughout his life to creating world-beating machines. Whether sitting at the pinnacle of motorsport or within the pages of magazine centerfolds, the cars that wore the Prancing Horse badge represented the very cutting edge of technology, style, and performance. Fitting, then, that the car built in his honor, the Ferrari Enzo, would exemplify everything that had seen the Marinella mark grew from a boutique producer of sporty race, car, race cars to one of the most coveted and desirable badges in automotive history. Like the great Halo models that came before, the Enzo was created to push the boundaries of road car performance, utilizing technology derived from top-tier motorsport and otherworldly styling from long-term designer Pininfarina. Constructed from lightweight carbon fiber and aluminum, the Enzo's sophisticated chassis was clothed in composite bodywork styled uh let's see and shaped by wind tunnel testing influenced by ferrari's leading grand prix cars the rakish nose struck a tone carried over to the rest of the coachwork, with subtle ground effect aerodynamics and sm- and a small active spoiler in place of the f50's outrageous rear wing the new enzo's heart laid and all in the new enzo's heart laid an all-new mid-mounted six liter v12 engine that produced a staggering staggering 651 horsepower greater than the output of any of its rivals. But it wasn't just a headline power figure that impressed, but how it was delivered with a perfect combination of low-end torque, fierce acceleration with each shift of the paddles, and an addictive howl as the needle approached the 8,200 RPM redline. Like its top-of-the-range predecessors, the Enzo set a new benchmark for performance and design due to a production run that numbered just 399 examples has since become one of the most significant collector cars of the early 21st century. I would agree. Now, this is a car that I find eh, a little more attractive than the F50, but still not as attractive as the F40. I feel like it needs to have a spoiler on the back. I know it has the little active arrow. Uh, I saw, again, one of these in the showroom floor up there in Alpharetta, Georgia, uh, back when it was new or fairly new. And uh, the estimate on this one, like I said, is 1.8 to 2.2 million pounds. All right, special mentioned cars. Let's see here, two of them actually. One is the uh, Ferrari FXX. So this is a car that was built uh, strictly for racing based on the Enzo. If you're online right now, you'll see a picture of it. And uh, they only made 30 of these cars. Uh, and they were faster. I have it here somewhere. Yeah, zero to sixty in two point eight seconds. And they were made to go like uh, around the world racing at these different Ferrari-sanctioned events. So basically, you would buy the car, and Ferrari would manage it for you, and you would just fly, meet the car at whatever racetrack they were, you know, racing at next, and uh, have a good time. And they also made one of these out of the La Ferrari as well, uh, semi-recently. And the other car I wanted to mention, which is based on the, uh, the Enzo, is the Ferrari, I'm sorry, the Maserati MC12. So uh, this one ironically is not in Haggerty's database, I thought it would be, but I did find some information on it and I'm showing a picture online right now. I think it's actually a much prettier car than the Enzo. It still has a couple styling cues that aren't awesome uh, so let's learn a little bit about the MC-12. So built from 2004 to 2005 as a limited production two-seat sports car produced by Italian car maker Maserati to allow a racing variant to compete in the FIA GT Championship. The car entered production in 2004 with 25 cars produced. A further 25 were produced in 2005 after the FIA changed the rules and reduced the maximum length allowed. The second batch of 25 cars are 150 millimeters shorter than the originals, making a total of 50 cars available to customers. While with the addition of with the addition of 12 cars produced for racing, only a total of 62 of these cars were ever produced. So of all the cars I'm talking about right now, uh, so far, this is the rarest of all of them. Maserai designed and built the car on the chassis of the Enzo Ferrari, but the final car is much larger and has a lower drag coefficient. The MC12 is longer, wider, and taller and has a sharper nose and smoother curves than the Enzo Ferrari, which has quicker acceleration, shorter braking distance, and a higher top speed. So I wonder why it failed. So the car it's based on was faster, braked, shorter, and (laughs) faster accelerate. That's That's probably why it failed. The top speed of the Maserati MC-12 is 330 kilometers, about 205 miles miles per hour, whereas the top speed of the Enzo Ferrari was 217. So just a quick footnote uh, for the FXX and the MC-12. All right, the last of the big five Ferraris we're gonna talk about is actually two-in-one. So it's the 2014 to 2017 ferrari la ferrari which is the worst name in the world uh, but then also the convertible version aperta i believe i'm saying that right aperta uh, so i kind of lump these together because when people talk about the big five it doesn't include the aperta because that's a version of the la ferrari but i thought it is worth covering so the one we have in london the estimate for the regular LaFerrari is two to 2.5 million pounds. Number one value in Hagerty is $4.25 million. Latest one year up 13.3%. Latest three years up 30.8%. And latest five years, this is interesting, actually down 3.4%. So these went way up, down a little bit, and now they're going back up. Now when you compare these to the other contemporaries of this car when it was launched, the McLaren P1, as well as the Porsche 918. This one by far is much more collectible than either of those two, even though they all came out about the same time with the same kind of performance results. This one is zero to 60 in 2.4 seconds, quarter mile in 9.7 seconds, less than 10 seconds. That's crazy fast. So they made 499 La Ferraris and 210 Apertas. So the Apertas, only 210 of those were constructed. Because of that, they are more expensive. So number one condition is $5.8 million. And for the Aperta, let's see, latest one year up 3.6. Latest three years up 20.8. Latest five years up 0.9. Which is basically tells you they never really depreciated since new. All right, what can we learn about the La Ferrari? Unveiled at the 2013 Geneva International Motor Show as a replacement for the Enzo, The Ferrari LaFerrari was was a technological tour de force that took the world by storm. Marinello's first production model was to be equipped with a hybrid power unit. The sixth generation hypercar was the fastest and most powerful road-going Ferrari ever. It was and remains one of the greatest achievements in the Mark's 75-year history. I also think it's probably the prettiest of all the cars we're talking about. I think it's a beautiful car. Compared to the... to contemporaries such as the Porsche 959 and Bugatti EB110. Their first Ferrari hypercars had been conservative designs. For all their astonishing pace, the 288 GTO and F40 had lacked headline innovation, focusing instead on a back-to-basic ethos of minimum weight and colossal power. With the subsequent F50, the Prancing Horse had abandoned the traditional space frame in favor of a more futuristic carbon fiber tub but there was a little else. There, but there was little else to whet the appetite of techno freaks. <laughs> its successor, the Enzo, upped the technological ante. The first Ferrari hypercar to feature an automatic paddle change transmission and active aerodynamics, it represented it represented a radical leap compared to the outgoing F50. The Enzo was an up to the minute interpretation of what a flagship sports car should be all about. And then along came the game changer, the La Ferrari. Based around a carbon fiber monocoque design by F1 technical technical director Rory Byrne, the LaFerrari adopted an enhanced version of KERS, which stands for Kinetic Energy Recovery System, which had been used in Grand Prix since 2009. Unlike any other hybrid setup, KERS employed electric motors in addition to a traditional petrol engine with an electric motor delivering maximum torque from zero RPM the benefits of noticeably stronger acceleration. Delivering a combined 950 horsepower and 715 pound-feet of torque through a seven-speed dual-clutch transmission, the car could accelerate from zero to 100 kilometer in a mere 2.9 seconds. Let's see. Even more startling, however, was the car's pace around the Fiorano, Fiorano test track, where it was said to lap more than five seconds quicker than the Enzo. That is incredible. Insane. When testing a new hypercar, British magazine AutoCar stated that La Ferrari is possibly the world's fastest, most exciting hypercar. There was, however, a drawback for anyone hoping to acquire one. To join the invitation only waiting list, potential buyers were expected to have recently bought at least two brand new Ferraris and owned no fewer than six in the previous 10 years. In spite of all this, all 499 cars were sold by the time it first hit the streets. All right, so that's the overview of the big five with a couple honorable mentions. Uh, I do want to do a quick recap here of uh, some of those fun facts I mentioned just a second ago. If you're watching on YouTube, I'll continue to flip through some of the uh, LaFerrari pictures because it's so beautiful. Uh, Okay, so the most valuable from the big five right now would be the F50 at $5.1 million. If you do count the Alberta, that's 5.8, but let's not count it because we're talking about the big five that most folks recognize. The cheapest, which is probably why the prices are going through the roof, is the F40 at 3.3 million. And one of the reasons why that's the cheapest, uh, they actually made the most of those, was the F40 at uh, 1,315 of them. The least made uh, was the 288 GTO, only made 272 of those. The fastest would be the LaFerrari at 2.4 seconds, no surprise there. The slowest is the 288 GTO at 4.9 seconds, which means that at least 0 year to 60, the LaFerrari is twice as fast as the GTO, but you also have like 30 years. So take that into consideration. Now, what would it cost to own all of these based on the valuation data I gave you? just a little bit over $21,000. I'm sorry, I'll be a steal. Just a little bit over $21 million. Now, if you were to throw in the MC12, the Alperta and the FXX, expect to dish out $36 million. All right, now I wanna go on to the one that's missing. So I'm I'm always impressed when I see these cars together, but I always feel like, you know, it's like there's one thing missing in that car which would complete it is the 288, I'm sorry, is the original 250 GTO. So uh, the GTOs were made from 1962 to 1964. And I know that I'm sure, I've never seen it, but I'm sure of the 36 GTO owners, there's probably a handful of them that have the big five and the GTO. I've only seen two GTOs in person in collections Uh, One collection did not have the big five. Uh, The other collection had the big five except for the, I think it was except for the 288 GTO, ironically. Um, And when I asked why they did not have it, they just didn't like it. (laughs) So they could have had the the complete big six. They just preferred not to, which you got to respect that. So let's see. Number one condition, 288 GTO. $70 million. So that's why, you know what, you don't see it. You can have the big five for around $20 million. To get the big six, you've got to be up around $100 million. Now, RM Sotheby's last sold one, the picture I'm showing right now, sold in 2018, sold for about $48 million. Uh, Let's see. I have heard that one sold recently privately for $80 million. Paul Russell was being interviewed somewhere, and he mentioned that he's the guy that would know uh, I'm just not sure which one they're talking about. All right. From a valuation perspective, latest one year, no change. Uh, latest three years, up 2.9%. Latest five years, up 16.7%, which is hard to quantify that because publicly there's only been one that has been sold in the last five years. So I don't know how they come up with these numbers. Zero to 60 in six seconds, which, you know, most minivans today are faster, but not nearly as exciting and the quarter mile in 13.3 seconds. All right, let's see. Let's read a little bit about the GTO, which will close out this podcast here. All right, considered by many to be the best and most beautiful sports car in the world, the Ferrari 250 GTO is also one of the rarest and most desirable. The last front engine sports racing car that was competitive on the world stage, the GTO was billed to the FIA as a continuation of the 250 short wheelbase, and its legendary initials stand for Gran Turismo Omogato. 100 cars were required for uh, uh, homologation for grand touring competition, but only 36 were constructed with an additional three 330 GTOs, which was the same car, but with a four liter V12, meaning that Ferrari was indeed able to convince the FIA that the GTO was an evolution of the short wheelbase, Seven of the 200, 250 GTOs were clothed in series two bodywork that, that had a lower flatter look and tunnel back roof. It was more aerodynamic, but it didn't have the iconic looks of the original cars. So the one I'm showing you pictures of is a series two car. Uh, since these pictures were taken, this car was sent to Paul Russell and had a complete restoration and it just showed up at Pebble Beach on the lawn this year. All right, the elegant body was built by SkyGaletti while the brilliant Bizzarini oversaw the mechanical detail. Underneath, the frame was almost identical to the 250 GT short wheelbase barrel but the body was more streamlined after testing in a wind tunnel at Pisa University. All right, let's see. The three liter drive sun lubricated 250 V12 breathed through six dual barrel Weber carburetors to, to deliver an even 300 horsepower. All right, very, very incredible, cool, iconic car. Let's see. All right, the GTO is a desirable car thanks to its beauty and rarity, but it is, it was its record on the track that made it a legend. All right, let's see. Dominated GT class in Sebring in 1962 to finish first in GT and second overall. Uh, let's see, a lot of wins. The list of victories goes on from there, and the GTO took the FIA GT World Championship in 1962 1963 and 1964 so that is why it is so legendary uh, like i said these cars are 70 to 80 million dollars so if you see one I appreciate it for what it is because there's very very few of them well as always thanks for joining me uh, as always thanks for listening thanks for watching and thanks for sharing and i will talk to all of you next week